Our lesson tonight comes from Zechariah chapters 5 and 6, uh, looking at some things we can learn from this chapter. And like we've already seen uh, previously in uh, this book, we've seen some pretty interesting uh, visions, and we'll continue to see that in chapters 5 and 6 as we go through this this evening. Uh, we'll be going into some detail, but not just extensive as you could uh, in these visions and and things, but we want to pull out some some things for us to to notice and some things for us to consider. And so we'll be looking at chapter. Begin by looking at chapter five, looking at the sixth and seventh uh, vision here in Zechariah chapter five. And we begin in verses one through four, looking at the vision of the flying scroll. And we begin in chapter five, looking at verses one through four. Here the Bible says, "Then I turned and raised my eyes." And saw there a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is a curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side, that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts, that shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. And so as we look here in these first few verses, we find uh, this scroll being mentioned. This scroll will be approximately 30 feet by 15 feet in size. Uh, if you were to look at it uh, by its measurements there, if you remember, the cubit is roughly about 18 inches. Uh, the scroll contained a twofold curse. On one side is a curse against stealing or against thieves. And on the other side, a curse uh, against those who, false, who swear falsely. Uh, and as we continue reading here, we find in verse, uh, in verse 4, uh, he says, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it uh, with its timber uh, and stones. And so verse four here, the people ha have become uh, really so careless in enforcing the law that the curse is described as, de as devouring fire that will reside in their house. I Meaning it's going to completely uh, take care of those individuals who have uh, who are thieves or those who have sworn falsely. Uh, they have not been enforcing the law of God. That's why this twofold curse is coming about. And then in verses 5 uh, through 11 here, you have the vision of the woman. Really, I look at it more as the vision of the woman in, in the basket, as some uh, texts say there. But if you look at verses 5 through 11, here the Bible says, The angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down to the basket and threw down and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Now I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings uh, like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, To build a house for it in the land of Shinar, when it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. 
Now, as you read through that, it sounds pretty interesting to say the least, right? A woman in a basket, a disc being placed over uh, the woman's mouth, and then two women coming and carrying the basket away. Uh, a lot of interesting things taking place there. The ephah, uh, the basket here in this content, represent the people of wickedness uh, throughout the land. They together with their wickedness will be removed from the land. There's the basket being lifted up and taken away. Uh, earlier prophets had used the figure of an immoral woman to signify the wickedness of Judah. You find that in Isaiah 1, verse 21, and also of the wickedness of Israel in Hosea uh, chapter 2, verse 5, and in the cities of Samaria and Jerusalem, also mentioned there in the book of Ezekiel, verse uh, chapter 23. And so the immoral woman actually... Uh, well, yes, you find you find this immoral woman representing uh, wickedness. If you remember, you also find it in the book of Proverbs being used as a as a uh, symbol of, of wickedness, and really in Proverbs, many times of harlotry. Uh, the immoral woman, how the son is told not to go into her. Uh, the wings indicate the strength that was theirs to fulfill their task. Uh, and you remember, they were to they were to come with wings of like a, like of a stork. Indicating just they had really the swiftness of it. And then also Shinar is mentioned there. That's where they're taking it. You know, from the time of its establishment, this kingdom had been, has stood in rebellion against God, his way, and his will. Uh, there's a lot more background to uh, that place, but we're not going to look into that uh, this evening. Uh, but we find here wickedness is going to be carried away. That's the idea there in, in that last section of chapter 5. And so you have the flying scroll that's coming out pronouncing a curse against the wicked. And then you have the woman being in, in the uh, basket and being carried away, signifying the sin being taken away. The woman being uh, signifying wickedness. You remember it says this is wickedness as he looked down and saw it and then being carried away. So signifying sin being carried away. Uh, very interesting way of putting that sins will be removed from among them. Uh, but that's the basic idea there in chapter 6. He's about judgment against the wicked and sins will be carried away out, out of uh, away from Judah and Israel uh, and out of those away from those who are going to repent and come to God. Now, in chapter six, like I said, we're not touching every single thing in detail. So that brings us to chapter six, uh, looking at the vision of the four chariots. And also later we'll look at the what many refer to as the double tiered crown in chapter six. And so this begins the eighth vision. If you remember, as we began this, we talked about how Zechariah saw eight visions in a singular night. And so you just saw them one after another. And as you begin to look at this, you see it's a lot to take in, a lot to try to understand. And no doubt he asked numerous times, what do these, what do these things uh, mean? So in chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 4, you have the four chariots here that are going to be described. And he says here in verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 1, Now I turned and raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains. And the mountains were, were mountains of bronze. Now keep in mind, every time he, he sees a vision, you find that phrase, I turned and raised my eyes. Every time he has a vision, he raises his eyes up, because later, when we talk about the, 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 the uh, crown, there are some who will say that's a ninth vision, but in reality, it's not because that is introduced in a totally different way. He doesn't lift up his eyes on that occasion, but he does here in the eighth and final vision. Uh, so in verse one, he sees 
uh, four chariots coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were, mount were mountains of bronze. Uh, with the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses, with the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot dappled horses or strong steeds. This isn't the first time we've seen horses being given different colors, is it? We have, we remember in the previous uh, prophet we looked at, we had, you had horses that were red, white, black, representing blood, death, or victory, which we'll talk about here again in just a moment. And so we find that same idea here in verse 2, but also you don't just have the red and the black and the white. You also have there, as it says, the dappled horses or the strong steeds, which are the strong horses. That's the idea there. They, these are strong horses. And that's the fourth chariot there in verse 3. Uh, then he says, and I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Now, the bronze, as we're going to go through this here, the bronze and the brass, or the brass and the bronze, and the enduring nature of the mountains. This is looking at verses 1 through 4 here. And John's vision on Patmos, the rider of the red horse, indicates persecution and bloodshed. You look at Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4. And it's on this uh, basis that... Uh, it seems that the red is in, in is in this instance again indicating war and bloodshed, and so it's a common again a common thread. If it represents it in one place, there's a high probability it represents the same thing in another when it's a red horse or white horse, whatever it may be. It's used that way. In Revelation. It was seen to be used the same way here. Uh, the second chariot, the black horses, uh, their color is thought to symbolize grief and famine. Carried, they carried a balance, as does the rider of the black horse in John's vision in Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6. Uh, they are, so you go back there looking at verse, uh, look at verse, see your verse 2. With the first chariot were red horses, the second chariot black horses, the third chariot white horses, and the fourth chariot the strong deeds, uh, the strong steeds there. Now, the color again is meant to to thought to represent or symbolize grief and famine, uh, and this is similar thing we see in Revelation six verses five and six. Um, next, you have the third chariot, the white horses. White is commonly viewed as a color of purity or of victory. You see that again in Revelation six verses one and two. Remember those who are under the altar or white. You talk about those who have been purified, those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They made, them, made their robes white in the blood of the Lamb, representing purity. Here, again, it's representing the idea of victory, not just purity, but of victory. And then you have the fourth chariot, uh, the dappled horses of strong steeds that are thought to show their ability to carry out their mission. You want strong animals to do strong and difficult tasks, and that seems to be the same idea we find here. Uh, with this fourth chariot, chariot is being pulled by these horses here. Ezekiel spoke against uh, Jerusalem in his prophecy that included four judgments, as we find in Ezekiel 14, verse 21, and also Ezekiel 5, 16, and 17. These included the sword, famine, evil beast, and pestilence. And we find a, some similarity between Ezekiel and Zechariah. Uh, they support the idea that these chariots pulled by different colored horses, and sent by Jehovah to the heathen nations and indicate his judgments of famine, pestilence, and the sword, which were, which, uh, and these were indeed carried out 
by these uh, horses or by these chariots being pulled by these horses here as we find in verses one through four. And so they are, these are representing again, as we saw a moment ago, let me back up here. The first, uh, the red horse indicating persecution and bloodshed. The second representing uh, grief and famine. The third, the white horse is representing, uh, in this case, victory. And the fourth, the, the strong horses showing their ability to carry out uh, their mission. Now, these, these all will go hand in hand as we continue to read here in verses 5 through 8 as we begin to look at what some translations say, the four spirits of heaven or the four winds of heaven as you look at verses 5 uh, through 8 of chapter 6. And so we look here first, looking at verse 5 and following. He says, the angel, And the angel answered and said to me, These are four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. This again representing... This, he's talking about these chariots being pulled by these horses or what? These are the four spirits of heaven. They go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. That is what's going to happen. Bloodshed is going to go out upon the wicked. Victories going to go out. Also pestilence and famine. And then these horses, God's will is going to be carried out in all these things. Being represented here by these spirits of heaven, he says, who go out from, from their station before the Lord of all the earth. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. The white are going after them, and the dappled are going toward the south country. Then the strong steeds went out, eager to go, that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, go, walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro throughout the earth. And he called to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. So the four winds are his messengers. We find the same idea there in Psalm 104, verse 4. And they are sent everywhere throughout all the earth to accomplish his purpose. As you remember, they're going to different places throughout all the earth, the north, the south, country, all those types of things. And then we find the chariot drawn by the black horses was followed by the one drawn by the white, which would seem to imply the victory of God's purpose in sending famine and ultimate destruction on the earth. You remember the black horse was representing... Uh, famine and, and, and uh, what I say here, not just famine, but uh, grief and famine. That's what I'm looking for. And then white represented victory. So if white followed after the, the famine, it means that his destruction, his uh, persecution upon the people would, would result in victory. The, the black being followed by the white there, uh, implying the victory of God's purpose and sending famine and ultimate destruction on the heathen. The strong horses go out, go out all over the earth, including the north country. The chariots have been the messengers that carry God's spirit into all parts of the earth. They represent not only this, uh, well, I got him myself. The, the visions have begun with the condition of the heathen. All was quiet. The second through the seventh vision dealt with the fortunes of Judah and God's people. Uh, now, as we look through here, the first, these first chariots here that go out, they represent not only the spirit of the avenging and of avenging and judgment, but also the spirit of mercy and redemption. We find that idea also in Isaiah 26 and verse 9. And because the white horses do represent victory, and so there is going to be victory there. And then the visions, again, this kind of helps us understand where we where we came from and where we're going. The visions began, if you remember back in chapter one and two. Uh, with, the, with, with the condition of the heathen and how all was quiet, 
But then from the second vision through the seventh, it dealt with the fortunes of Judah, and God, uh, that is God's people. So God's going to bring his messengers throughout all the land and carry out his will throughout all the country, north, south, wherever it may be, as we saw there in verses 1 through 8. Now, if you look at verse 9 and following, you have now the, uh, the, the section that deals with the double-tiered crown. Now, as I said before, this is not uh, a ninth vision, as this is introduced differently than how the visions were introduced before. He no longer says, I lifted up my eyes. Instead, he says here, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying... And that's important to notice because if visions are introduced a certain way, and it's like we saw before with the, with the eight visions and how every time we find that same phrase and all of a sudden it changes, this would imply this is not a different vision. The word of the Lord came to me saying, verse 10, receive the gift from the captives from, from Heldei to Bajai and Jediah who have come from Babylon and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make an elaborate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, if you remember last time, we said how Joshua represents the entire priesthood, not just him himself. Uh, then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord, he shall bear the glory. He shall sit and rule over his throne, so he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Uh, verse 14 and 15 says here, Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord, for, for Helam, Tobajiah, and Jediah, and he and the son of Zephaniah. Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, let's back up first before we get to the, to the main focus, I think, of that section being the branch. But let's notice first the crown. Um, with the silver and gold, Zechariah was to make a crown and set them on the head of, of Joshua the high priest. Uh, this elaborate crown is actually the idea of two crowns woven together to form a double-tiered crown. If you go back to verse 11, which would signify the double office of priest and king, because he was to be a priest and king. God declares five things concerning the man whose name is the branch. As you look there in verses uh, 9 through uh, verse 15, specifically verses 12 through verse uh 13 there, he mentions those five things concerning the man whose name is the branch. The first one being he would grow up as a root out of dry ground in the midst of a corrupt age. And this also coincides with Isaiah 53 in verse 2. He also mentions here the branch would build the spiritual temple of Jehovah. This temple is the church of the Lord made up of a living stone, 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. Now, that's two of the five things that are mentioned there. He's going to come up as a root of a dry ground, and he's going to be the branch would build the spiritual temple of Jehovah. He would, he would be laid with honor, majesty, and power. Remember he's going to, how he's going to rule, as discussed there. We also find in the throne, the branch has combined both the kingly and priestly offices over God's people. Uh, peace will be provided by the branch holding the twofold office of king and priest. Now, 
If you look at verse 14, the crown will be the will be to the three men. If you go back and look at the text there, the crown will be to the three men who had come from Babylon for a memorial in the temple of Jehovah. It was to be for a memorial the temple of Jehovah. The crown will be a memorial to these three men who had come from afar. Verse 15, uh, those that are afar off would seem to point to the Gentiles who would be invited to come and build Jehovah's glorious spiritual temple ruled over by the king priest, which is Jehovah or the Messiah or Christ rather, which would be the Messiah coming in the New Testament time. Some lessons for us to think of, to consider today as we think about this. And we have seen, I know there's a lot in there in those visions. And like I said, we could have gone a lot more detail, uh, but I, that was not my desire to do so uh, this evening. But we have found in chapter 5, they actually the idea of carrying away the sin. And then in chapter 6, we find the messengers of God going throughout all the world and how God's will would be, would be carried out. Uh, no doubt vengeance upon the sinful and no doubt victory being given to those who are faithful to him. And then lastly, in, chap in chapter 6, you have the double-tiered crown being given there to Joshua and also the branch being, being mentioned, being brought up, which, which is representing Christ, who had come, as we know, in the New Testament time period, uh, coming and carrying out the will of God on the earth. Now, as we think about some lessons for us today, one of the first things I want us to notice is that Christ is both priest and king. Because when we talk about the branch in chapter 6, that's what we're talking about. He is the one who's going to be ruling uh, both as priest and king. Here in Zechariah, we see, we see the pointing to one who would be both priest and king. We find Christ is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but is not appointed tempted as we are yet without sin. Christ also is king, as we find in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6, which I don't have on the screen. This king was both priest and king, and so is Christ in, in, in a similar manner. We think about uh, the order of Melchizedek. We go back to Genesis chapter 14. He is mentioned as king of Salem, who brought out bread and wine. He was the high priest of God most high. And so we read phrases like he, was, he is priest and king at the order of Melchizedek. This is what we're talking about. Melchizedek was king of Salem. But he also was a priest of the most high God, which means he was a king and priest. And so Christ is, is going to follow that same pattern. He's going to be king and priest as well. And he was and is king and priest as well today. So Christ is both priest and king. And secondly, we want to notice that God's prophecies do come true. These prophecies of Zechariah uh, point to Christ and the church. Uh, we know this because we look at Acts, we, for example, we find that the church came into existence in Acts 2. We know that Christ came and fulfilled all those prophecies, being born in the Virgin, being born in Bethlehem, being born in a certain time, in a certain place, to a certain, group of, to a certain person, and on and on the list goes, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, being both priest and king, and the list just continues to go on. So we learn from this, we're reminded from Zechariah's time that Christ is now, in Zechariah's time, his future tense for us, we know that he is currently priest and king, and that God's prophecies do indeed come true. And we think about these, 
these these uh, visions and the figures here. I think many times we're not careful, just like when we look at the book of Revelation, we can get caught up trying to understand every single aspect of every single vision. And when we do that, oftentimes we miss the big picture. In chapter 5, we think about the the uh, flying scroll and the uh, the basket of the woman in it, which all symbolizes, we saw there in the text itself, says the carrying away of sin from the people. And then in chapter 6, we find God's will being carried out throughout all the earth and how Christ will be, and in Zechariah's time, future tense, Christ would be the future priest and king. Now, as we close this evening, while these visions may seem complex at times, they point to what is to come. Living after the earthly time of Christ, we can see, uh, see things have come true. Christ is priest and king. The church is now in existence. As you go back to Zechariah chapter 6, notice verse 12 and following. Notice again what the text says here. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. For he, for his place, from his place he shall branch out, he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord, he shall bear the glory. He shall sit and rule on his throne. He shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be, shall be between them both. He's on a throne representing him being a king. But also we find there he shall be a priest on his throne there in verse 13 of Zechariah chapter 6. So even that tells us quite plainly Christ is priest and king. Now as we think about this as we close, looking at the last verse of uh, Zechariah chapter 6, looking at verse 15. He says here, Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And notice this last phrase here. And, but, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. What's going to happen? God's going to carry out his will. But those who are followers of God will get to enjoy the blessings of what's going to come to pass if they remain loyal to him. But also notice there in verse 15, he says, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's the phrase I meant to say we want to focus on. How will they know that they, the Lord has sent them to him, that he has been sent to them by the Lord, by these things coming to fruition, by these things coming to be? And we know that was indeed the case. Those things have come and, and been fulfilled. So this evening, as you think about these things, we think about how God fulfills his, his word, and we can find confidence and peace in this truth, and that God fulfills those prophecies. When God says certain things are going to come to pass, certain things are going to take place, we should take comfort in knowing that God keeps his word. Now, we think about this this evening. I know this may not actually be a lesson that will cause someone to want to put on Christ, but it should remind us of how God is one who keeps his word, how prophecies of the Bible do indeed come true and how we have seen so many already come true. We know that in the end, when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead and the faithful get to go to be with Christ, that those prophecies, things that have been spoken of as coming in the future, all those things will have truly been fulfilled. All the final prophecies will have been fulfilled. This evening, as you think about these things, you think about all that God has done for us. You think about the coming of the Messiah and the, the warning about involved, being involved in sin, about the curse upon those who are doing wickedness. We think about all that God has done for us. We want to make sure that we are doing all we can to be loyal to him. 
This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage in any way. You can come forward now. That's going to be saying and sing this song that's been selected. 